0: From the EPR Creation Studio, this is the Unconquered Podcast. I'm Jason Staples. As always, this podcast brought to you by EPR Creations, bringing the best of website development and internet marketing for an affordable price. We're going to be looking at the UNC-Florida State game, doing a preview of a matchup between the two programs that I cover. Uh, also, my two alma maters, though that's uh, a whole lot less relevant here, but uh, two teams that I'm very familiar with. and. Uh, Actually, you'd expect that I'd feel really comfortable about being able to project this game. And as we'll see, uh, uh, that's less true in this one than you might expect because of the variance that these two teams present. Uh, so let's go ahead and get to it. We'll start with the UNC offense against the Florida State defense. This segment brought to you by Lewis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida. Lewis is, of course, a trained photographer and videographer, and you will not have your house look any better And if Lewis stages that and then gives you photos and smooth walkthrough video to make sure that your, your property sells as fast as possible for the highest possible price, because again, remember, everybody looks online first these days. If you have to have any property to sell, or if you just want to find a good place to live out in the greater Jacksonville area, give Lewis a call. Tell him you heard about him from the Unconquered podcast. So the UNC offense is a really interesting is, is is an interesting case this year. They've been in an interesting situation because you look at what they brought back the beginning of the year and you say, man, you know, you got a third-year starter at quarterback, guy expected to be in New York at the end of the season as a Heisman Trophy finalist before the, before the year, preseason, uh, expected to be that. Some people before the season expected him to be a uh, top five, potential top five NFL draft pick, really highly thought of quarterback. And then, of course, I'm talking about Sam Howell, who... Flipped from Florida State to UNC uh, back in the Willie Taggart era after uh, Walt Bell left. So you got him. You return all five offensive line starters. You add a an elite talent at the slot receiver position. And then you're replacing a few really important skill guys. The slot receiver position, you're actually upgrading, so you feel good about that one, even though the other guy, you know, guy Daz Newsome, Uh, From last year, moved on, uh, NFL roster. And then you have the three guys that really produced the most offense from last year, and that's the two running backs who were the best running back combination in the country last year with Javante Williams and uh, Michael Carter, both of whom are having success on Sundays so far this year. And then Deami Brown, another guy who went pretty early in the NFL draft, guy who uh, gave them their deep threat the last couple of years and was really effective there. So you you feel like, okay, look, if they can just replace a little bit of that production at receiver and they've got talent at receiver, they'll be fine there. They've just really got to make it work. They've got to find a way to make it work at running back, and this offense should be really, really good. They're just going to have to throw it a little bit more than they did last year because they don't have those elite running backs. But they'll they'll be able to do, you know, you expect them to be pretty balanced because of those five starters returning on the offensive line. And you expect them to take a, a step forward compared to uh, compared to what they, what they were last year, where there were times where they weren't all that great. They were pretty average at times last year, but the running backs made them look really, really good. So Carolina, being proactive, went out and got Ty Chandler, Tennessee transfer at running back, a guy who has over 2,000 yards, had over 2,000 rushing yards at Tennessee, so a, a really productive player there, despite the dumpster fire that was Tennessee those couple of years. And you feel like, okay, it's pretty plug and play. Maybe he's going to, maybe they'll be able to really get some things done with this group. You expect a prolific offense on the season. And it's just not really all worked together this year. It's just not been, it, it the the parts have have been greater than the whole to this point. And the pieces just haven't fit the way that you you want. It hasn't been as coordinated offensively as what you would like. And, there are a number of reasons for this. Uh, I think as you watch these games, it's it's actually there's some similarities to watching Florida State's offense. Only if Florida State's offense had talent that wasn't fitting together as opposed to being relatively, or to lacking talent and not fitting together in a lot of ways. Basically, what you've got with North Carolina is they they've had some struggles. Howell has struggled at times. The offensive line has struggled in different ways. The receivers have struggled in different ways. The running backs have not been that great. And none of those pieces have elevated the other pieces to where they're starting to get things right. So as I've talked about a lot in this, this podcast, if you're good at quarterback, you can make up for some weaknesses on the offensive line. If you're really good on the offensive line, you can make up for some weaknesses. You can hide some weaknesses at quarterback. If you're bad at both, then you're just going to be really, really bad. Similarly, if you've got a great offensive line, but you're pretty average at running back, you can, you can still run the ball. If you're average at running back and average on the offensive line, you might just be bad running the football because neither is going to make the other look better. And this is kind of the situation that North Carolina has been in on the season. So I'm going to start actually talking about the offensive line here. You would expect, again, returning all five starters. You've got a number of three-year starters on this offense, on this offensive line. And you'd think, man, those guys are going to be really solid by this point. They're going to communicate. They're going to continue to develop and grow. Their technique should be refined by this point. And that's just not been the case. First of all, they've had injuries at center to the point where last, before last week's game, they were actually basically conducting open tryouts among the uh, offensive line the rest of the offensive line in practice to see who could snap reliably. They're basically going back and, you know, their, their top two, the two guys that they figured they would depend on at center have been banged up enough that they were trying to find a third guy that could snap. So it ended up being backup left tackle Caden Baker, kid from Bradenton, uh, who ended up being the guy that they put at, at center because he was the third guy that could snap. And they had to work him in last week. And, you know, he center's a hard position. He, he struggled some last week. And the other two also played some last week, but again, they're limited because they're banged up. And when you have that hole in the middle of the offensive line, as Florida State fans can attest, that causes all sorts of problems. So that's been a problem. And then the other problem is that a number of those, uh, those three-year starters have just not developed as well as they should have. In my view, they're very ta- they've got a very talented group overall. And they're huge. They're just massive guys. I mean, they've got three guys on that offensive line who are over 330 pounds. But the two guys on the right side are both overweight by about 10 to 15 pounds and don't move as well as they should. They didn't. I felt like if, if those two guys in the offseason had really focused and dropped some of the weight and quickened up just a little bit and refined their ability to bend a little bit and, and, and basically just dieted that you'd be looking at those guys on the NFL radar as it is, they've kind of eaten themselves out of that kind of consideration. And you can see there's still a lot of technique breakdowns up front to where you you shouldn't see third year guys making some of the mistakes. You're talking about high school mistakes that this offensive line, this Carolina offensive line makes at times. And they've really struggled against any, any time teams have used twist games green dogs, you know, delayed blitzes, these sorts of things. When, when you play games up front and you force them to pass guys off, they've really struggled with that and they've given up some pressure as a result. So this is something that if I'm Adam Fuller, I know Fuller, uh, in the Florida state defense, they like to use a lot of, of twist games and and movement up front anyway. Well, this is a game where you can do a lot of that and and feel like you can get home. So uh, this you you want to twist game this this team Carolina as much as possible to cause some problems on their on their line. Now the other thing is that their their right side both guys because they're a bit overweight and they they tend to be leaners. Uh, they they they're vulnerable to quicker quicker players. This is one of the things that you can see going back the last couple of years when they've played against defensive lines that are bigger and rely on size. They've been able to handle those lines better, partly because. They're just huge dudes. But against the Wake Forests and the Georgia Techs of the world, who are, you know, smaller defensive lines that are depending on quickness to create to create problems, they've struggled against those teams. So this is a game where if I'm Florida State, I'm I'm putting Keir Thomas, I'm bumping him inside more. I'm doing a number of things like that to basically cause problems getting some penetration on the defensive line. The more you do that, the more you get this North Carolina team out of its comfort zone. So I would be, I would be tinkering with my personnel to get Thomas, to get some of those other little bit smaller defensive linemen on the field who, who have a little bit, a little burstier kind of guys to get them on the field. I mean, Quayshawn Fuller would be a natural guy to play inside against this Carolina team as well, to get them on the field, to cause a lot of problems with, uh, with, with quickness because that's what they struggle with. Uh, and the right tackle as well he's a leaner and has a tendency to bear hug uh both in the run run and the passing game and that's something that if i'm mike norvell you know in the pre uh pregame conference with the uh with the officials i'm pointing to i'm pointing to the right tackle and saying you better watch because that guy bear hugs and holds a lot so uh, that's something that i would try to put that bug in the ear of the of the umpire and the referee saying you know that guy you know he he holds a lot and i would have uh, Jermaine Johnson over him all game because he, again, as a leaner, doesn't always move as well, just a huge dude, and he's vulnerable to some of the speed rush stuff. So the more you can use quickness, especially on that right side, the more you can cause problems for Carolina up front. A couple other things there, when 72's at, at left tackle, uh, they, they they move some guys around in terms of trying to get their best players on the field for what they're doing that drive when 72's at left tackle they they can also give up speed rush on that side so you you know you could basically really push your edges uh in that situation now when 75 that's uh Josh Zudu when he's at left tackle you're not going to get a whole lot he's an NFL left left tackle left guard i mean he's an NFL player in my opinion so the thing is when they when he is at left guard that's when they are most effective running gap scheme stuff and having him as a puller so I would be very conscious of that, of where 75 is lined up on the offensive line so that I have a good sense of, okay, they're going to be more inclined to run some stuff with that, with that guard pulling when 75's at left guard, because he moves, he's a dancing bear. He, He moves really, really well. And so, uh, when, when he's not at left guard, they're not nearly as effective running some of that stuff in their running game and also moving the pocket and some of those things pulling ahead of boots and things like that. So those are the things that I would be looking at if I'm the Florida state coaching staff. Now, the thing is that offensive line, they're pretty average. They've got, you know, problems that you would not expect a, a third year group to have, but they're pretty average still. And they, they provide enough in the running game that if those two backs from last year were there, they'd still be putting up crazy numbers. The problem is that, that they don't have a running back that, that, has, that has shown the vision and the feet to make his offensive line right all the time. Chandler is a really athletic player. But in my opinion, Chandler, the, the Tennessee transfer, is really a wide receiver playing running back. He's a big guy. He's about six one and change, about 210 pounds, 215 pounds. He's not a small guy. But he's higher cut and to me runs and has a feel for the game more like a wide receiver. If I I would actually consider him if I were an NFL scout as a guy to move in the NFL that I could get a good value on drafting him late or signing him late and then moving into wide receiver and feel like I got a pretty good value because where he's best is catching the football, not as a as a runner in a zone scheme or those sorts of things. But if he can get ahead of steam. The guy runs legit low four, low four, four in the 40. He'll run away from you. He will, if he gets in your secondary, you're not catching him. So they've got to do a great job of staying over the top and making sure that he doesn't create big plays. But if you can be gap sound, he's going to have a hard time because the vision and the feet don't always line up and and contact balance before he gets started is not quite as good. And their backups there, Caleb Hood, uh, is, is the guy to really worry about. He's 230 pounds, uh, a freshman who was a quarterback in high school, I think he flashes the most potential as a as a as a back in terms of vision and, and power. But he's been injured and DJ Jones is the next guy. And he's a good player, but again, not not what I would consider a special back. To me, the concern there is less about the running game. You've got to find a way to limit the running game for sure. But the real concern is that Chandler, Jones, and Hood, if Hood's able to play, but really Chandler in particular, they're so good out of the backfield that they're gonna they're gonna force Florida State's linebackers to cover and Chandler can run away from all of Florida State's linebackers He's basically giving them it's basically like have, forcing your backers to cover a slot receiver with outside receiver size So that's going to be a problem for Florida State That's something that if I was North Carolina I would make a focus coming into this game to to use that. Now, so far this year, they've only thrown to Chandler five times, which is, you know, reason for frustration from from the North Carolina side. If you're if you're paying attention to that team, and you hope as if you're Florida State, you hope that continues because if they're they're continuing to hand the ball off to him, you, you feel like you can bottle him up for the most part in this game as long as he doesn't get to get to the secondary where he becomes a real problem. You can you can do a lot of you can get a, a high stuff rate against this. UNC offensive line and running back combination. And again, it's just a matter of the combination not working out quite as well as as last year's. And then you combine that with Sam Howell, who again came into the season expecting to be a Heisman finalist. And, you know, honestly, the stats, if you look at his stats, his stats are good. I think his his passer rating is some is top five in the country. I think it's actually second right now. But his QBR, his overall rating when you consider sacks and some other things, turn some fumbles and things like that, he's down down around 29th, I think. So uh he's struggled some this season. He has not looked as uh dominant at the position as you would expect, given what he looked like he the kind of step that you would kind of ex- that you would expect coming out of last season, where he looked really good. And a lot of that has been the fact that he's he's never really found any sort of comfort level in this offense this year. Last year, he was able to get a lot of comfort just by when he wasn't throwing, he could hand it off and know that his backs are going to get, are going to cons- consistently put that offense in good leverage situations. So when they last year, when they threw, they were wanting to throw. And when they ran it, they were wanting to run it. And they were consistently ahead of the chains. And he was consistently able to, to, throw off play action and all of these things and throw to an elite deep ball threat in Deami Brown, who won those one-on-ones. It was more of an 80-20 situation throwing deep to Deami Brown. You expected it to be caught 80% of the time. And, you know, Howell has a great deep ball, one of the best deep balls in college football, but hasn't connected as much this year, partly because they're not as effective running the ball. And when they're throwing it, teams are are playing the pass more. And the other thing is that He's been sacked 22 times in five games. That's uh, that's not good. Now, I would say that over half of those, probably 14 to 16 of those, you would put at the feet of the quarterback and say that's a, that's the quarterback's fault. A number of those are on RPOs, for example, where they, they run a very heavy RPO offense where Howell has chosen to pull the ball when he should have handed it off. Or he's pulled the ball and then not gotten it out quickly enough. Pulled the ball and then tried to wait we can't wait when the when the when the offensive line is is blocking is blocking run and again we've seen this a lot at florida state where you know la- last couple of years you look at james blackman rpo holds the ball gets sacked everybody blames the offensive line but you go look that ball needed to be out you know half a second before anybody ever got to him how there's been a lot of that from howell this year and again a part of that is is that he's just he's not been comfortable And they're relying on him a lot more to do a lot more in this offense, given that they're not able to play with the leverage that they were last year due to that dominant pair of running backs. Now, the other thing that has caused problems for him is, you know, in addition to the offensive line not being elite and, you know, he when he is holding it a little bit longer, he's getting hit. And that's, of course, caused some problems for his internal clock. The other problem is that at the wide receiver position, they have badly missed Diami Brown, but also Bo Corrales. He's the he's the big wide receiver, 6'3 and change, uh, who had a, a big play, big touchdown catch against Florida State beat uh Akeem Dent down the sideline for a, a big touchdown against Florida State last year. Well, he, he hurt him. he got hurt on that play last year and hasn't played since then. And they've desperately missed him combined with Deami Brown because they've just not been all that effective going over the top. And that takes away really what Howell does the best. He 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 is a deep ball thrower with great touch, can put the ball downfield, and they just haven't been able to figure out who, who can do that as an outside receiver. Their two main outside receivers, Emery Simmons and Antoine Green, neither of them is great getting off the jam. So you want to press him as much as you can, uh, and neither is, I mean, Green is, is, has some really good speed, but he, he's never really taken that step forward to be the kind of elite deep receiver that, uh, that Brown was. So in this game, you want to force Simmons and Green to beat you, to beat you one-on-one against your corners outside, down the field, because those guys haven't really shown that they could do that. And that's something that teams have done this year, is basically single-cover Carolina's outside receivers in ways that the last couple of years, if you did that, well, they'd just go outside to De'Ami Brown, and you know, a couple attempts later, you got a touchdown, and before long, you have to commit a safety over the top to that. You don't have to do that as much with this group. Now, they do have De'Ami Brown's younger brother, Choffrey, who is by far Carolina's fastest player, who. It, when he's on the field, that's number one, when he's on the field, he's a deep threat at any moment because he's actually faster than his brother was. I mean, he was a 10, uh, 10, 400 meter guy, a sub 10, 500 meter guy in high school. So he can run. Problem is that he's dropped a bunch of balls. He's had two or three, I think he's dropped two or three touchdowns this year. So the inconsistency there has really hurt them in terms of being able to to do what they want with the uh, with the outside receivers. Now, on the flip side, they have an absolute freak of a player at that inside, uh, at that slot receiver. Josh Downs is the best slot receiver in the country, and in my view, it's not particularly close. I mean, he he. There are times there have been some times this year where he's caught a ball underneath, and then it looks like Percy Harvin type acceleration where everybody else looks like they're playing JV ball, chasing him, chasing him as he just separates and runs for a score. And you're like, it's not supposed to be that easy, is it? But he makes things look really easy. He's a smaller guy, you know, slight, not not a big guy, not going to break a whole lot of tackles, but getting your hands on him is the hard part. And so they've done their best to feed him the ball. He's he's one of the he's in the top five or six in the country in basically every receiving category. And the more they get him the ball, the happier everybody is uh, on that offense because he, he makes plays. And that's not really good news for Florida State that their real strength is in the slot because that's going to force Florida State's safeties, nickel, uh, linebackers, and so on to be better in coverage than they've been. And they're going to get some matchups there with him that are um, not advantageous for Florida State. The other thing that, that they've done this year to try to compensate for not being as consistent or as good, uh, on the outside at wide receivers, they've, they've used their tight ends a good bit more tight ends coached by John Lilly, who was uh, the tight ends coach at Florida state in my day, that uh, before he went to uh, Georgia with Mark Richt and now in, in Chapel Hill. Uh, but they got a pair there, Garrett Walston, the senior, uh, he's the, the white tight end, uh, good, you know, overall all around tight end, solid catch in the football, and then Kamari Morales, the sophomore, number 88, when he's on the field, he's, he's kind of that hybrid, more of a big wide receiver, almost really athletic guy, not as, not as good a blocker at this stage of his career, but more of a receiving tight end. And he can be a real problem for linebackers in terms of matchup because he can really run and he's got some explosions. So, so really the problem is that this is not a great matchup in terms of the passing game for what Florida State, where Florida State's defensive weaknesses are. When you look at this, you go, okay, their strengths are running backs, slot receiver, and tight ends in the passing game. They're going to get those guys in one-on-one situations against Florida State's safeties, nickelback, and linebackers. That's what, the, that's what the plan has to be for North Carolina. The more they can do that, the, the, the better off they are. Florida state's going to have to find ways of making sure that they don't end up in really bad matchups with some of those guys. And the main thing that they need to do is to win inside out. The more Florida state can stop the run and get good leverage situations so that they can get pressure on Howell, the better off they're going to be. And you can stop the run versus this running back offensive line pairing. And you know, Howell, when he's been pressured has turned the ball over some this year. I mean, three, three turnovers against Georgia tech that turned that game. That's what you're relying on if you're Florida State, is, can, is finding ways to create pressure, usually with quickness, and get leverage so that you can create more pressure and, and generate some turnovers and stops. That's what you're relying on. And this Carolina offense has been really high variance. So they've either been completely dominant or they're really sputtering. They were 10.28 yards per play against Virginia, which is just comically explosive. Just ridiculous. Averaged over over a first down every play, and then they were four point nine nine yards per play against Georgia Tech, which is pretty anemic in today's version of football. So, and that Georgia Tech defense, I mean, they're they're well coordinated. Jeff Collins does a great job there, but they're not elite. I mean, Georgia Tech then went and got smashed the next week, so by Pitt. You know, Pitt put up fifty on them. So. This is a North Carolina offense that you can stop if you can find a way to get them out of leverage and get pressure on, on Howell. You can limit this offense, and Florida State's going to have a chance to do that. Now, they're going to have to find a way of making up compensating for some of their weakness in the, in the middle of the field in terms of, um, of that back seven, and that's where Carolina is going to try to make their, make their hay, but it can be done. To me, success for this game for Florida State's defense looks like limiting Carolina to around 6 yards per play. I don't think they're going to I don't think they're going to do to Carolina what Georgia Tech did. You know, sub 5 5 yards per play. You get them under 6 yards per play and you've done pretty well, I think. And I think ultimately you you kind of expect that that you're going to have to score 35 to beat this North Carolina team in this game, especially at home. They've been much better at home than they've been on the road. Not sure why. But that was true even during the COVID season where there were were no home crowds. They've just not been very successful on the road. At home, they're like two touchdowns better. That's just been the way it's been. Not sure why, but that's been the fact. So I think you have to factor on them being better, playing better, and probably having to, you know, you probably expect your defense to give up 35 plus in this game. Probably going to need 35 to win the game. So let's go ahead and flip over to the defensive side. Defensive breakdown brought to you by Shenandoah Newsma of Keller Williams Realty in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. You can find her at shenrealestate.com. Look, she's got a PhD. She knows how to research. And will if you are in the research triangle area, you have, you're going to find no better real, real estate agent to be able to, to get you in the best possible position, whether you're a buyer or a seller, than Shen. Give her a holler. Let her know you heard about her from the Unconquered podcast. So on the defensive side of the ball, uh, looking at this matchup, first of all, it's a matchup between two guys who've, who've got some history, Jay Bateman, who I I think is a really good defensive coordinator for North Carolina versus Mike Norvell, who obviously very good offensive mind, did, you know, did great work at, at Memphis. Those guys coached against each other back in the AC, in, in the AAC when Bateman was at army. And when, uh, when Norvell was at Memphis, so they they've faced each other a number of times, and they kind of know what what he, each of them knows what the other likes to do. Bateman's a guy who's a multiple fronts and packages guy, and they've finally got personnel in Chapel Hill that can do what they want to do there so the, th- the problem for them is that the, that most of their talent the the majority of their talent is a bunch of freshmen and sophomores, so basically they're choosing between less talented older guys or more talented blue chip type. Young guys who are making mistakes, so that that kind of puts you in a catch twenty two because you're trying to play enough older guys to keep from those mistakes killing you, but the older guys aren't talented enough to make big plays, so you have to splash in some of those younger guys, and then those younger guys still periodically make mistakes that then cause your defense some difficulty. So that's kind of where they're at. Now, what they what they what they bring to the table is they've got a bunch of young talent on the defensive line led by Miles Murphy, number eight. He's probably, he might be the best defensive tackle Florida state has faced this year. He's a guy who probably would start at Florida state right now at defensive tackle. So, you know, I think he would probably start over love it right in that same category in terms of, in terms of talent tier and, and, uh, and quality. He's been right in that, that love it, category. So you're talking about a really good defensive defensive tackle. Next to him is a is a senior, Ray Bohasek, 51. He's he's a good player, but you know, not outstanding. And then they're going to rotate in a five star, uh, a five star freshman, Javari Ritzy, number five. And then fifty six Tamari Fox, who's more of a flex guy. To me, the the key here, one of the keys here is when fifty six is on the field, he's a smaller guy. He's, you know, he's a defensive tackle who's playing at about 280, 285 and, and, and sort of stubby. He's a guy that I would want to run at anytime he's on the field. Find ways to, to displace him and, and run more in his direction because he's just a bit undersized and use, use that against them as much as possible. But he, he's a guy that quickness-wise can give your offensive line trouble as a, as a pass rusher. So you've got to be aware of that. On the edge, they've got four guys that they rotate. Uh, and they'll go some, some three big defensive line. They'll go some you know traditional like three, four, five, two type things with uh, two big ends. You know, they're, they're hybrid defensive end off outside linebacker types who are you know bigger guys. Guys like uh, Tamon Fox, you've got Rucker, number 25, he's, he's a guy I really like. He's a football player, but a little undersized when he bumps inside and not all that long when he bumps outsides. He's a bit of a tweener, but he he causes problems. And then their most talented guy there is 10, Des Evans, who's 6'6", about 260, and a former high four-star, couple services had him as a, as a five-star recruit, who's made some mistakes, but you can see the talent out there. And they'll drop those guys in coverage. They'll use them to set the edge. That's what they do. Now, those guys have had some issues at times with, basically gap discipline and, and contain discipline. They struggled mightily against Georgia tech where, with the read game, with the read option game, where the, the, the quarterback was able to get outside on a number of, of plays because those edge guys didn't hold their edge. That's just what they do. And, and there were times where they just had too many missed assignments. And it's one of those things where you kind of wish they hadn't had those problems because that's something that I'm sure has been emphasized all week in practice because they're going to be playing against the same kind of player in Jordan Travis. And if, you know, they hadn't had those problems to be fixed earlier in the season, then maybe you expect them to to make those mistakes now. But that's what you're kind of relying on is for them, those guys, to make some of those mistakes on the edge. And to me, this is one of the things that if I'm Mike Norvell, I'm trying to do in this game. I'm trying to create some confusion with a lot of run game variation in this game because they Carolina with their mixture of youth up front, they've been out of a gap here and there. And they've not handled pullers, for example, in the uh in the running game as well as as well as you might like. There's been different things on the edge where if you run dash, so you know, back away from the uh front or bash, the bash concept. You run the bash concept back away from the from the the puller. If you run Inverted, uh, inverted zone reads. So the, the back goes, uh, outside and the quarterback goes inside. There's a number of things that you can do to cause hesitation with Carolina's contained players there that I think you could, you need to do in this game to try to find ways to, to generate running game. And I think you can have some success with that, with what they've shown, uh, now, Carolina does have a tendency to use the old Big 12 blitz. They they run this as much as anybody in the country, which is bringing that nickelback or boundary safety off the edge and then having everybody slant away from that so that the nickelback or the boundary safety ends up being the contained player in the run. And you have to kind of be able to identify when that's coming and ideally. Receiver screen or, you know, check out of whatever run to the edge that you have there. So that's something that, again, if you're Norvell, you have to have that that plan in the game. That's that's where they're at. Now, linebacker wise, they've got a, a fifth year senior and then they've got ne- and that's Jeremiah Gemmel, 44, and then next to him they've got a pair Cedric Gray has kind of taken over that spot over Eugene Asante, number 7. Asante was pretty disappointing in the first part of the year, but both of those guys, 33 and 7, are guys that have been a bit of a liability at times this year for for Carolina. And that's something I would like to try to get if I'm Florida State. Get your backs one-on-one against them. Scheme up your running game so that that's the free guy. Scheme up your passing game so that you've got a back one-on-one with that guy in coverage. And I would want North Carolina's linebackers to have to to cover a lot in this game. Force them to cover and run. They're not unathletic, but I would, given the makeup of their defense, I think you can pick on their, their backers a little bit in this game. And you know, particularly with how good Florida State's backs are in terms of the, of the receiving game, that's what you do. Now at corner, they're still missing their best cover corner, Storm Duck, who has one of the best names in college football. Uh, he has he's played like a few series this season, but just hasn't really been able to recover from the broken foot that he had last year. Uh, still, still on his way back, and you know availability is the best ability, and he has not had that in the last almost two what year and a half. Uh, so him being out, they still have Tony Grimes, who I think is one of the better cover corners in the, in the league. He was a five-star coming out of high school and has lived up to it so far. And then Kyler McMichael, who is a, a transfer from Clemson, Clemson wanted to move him to safety. So he transferred out. He's been playing corner at North Carolina. And frankly, when I watch him, I see a guy who should play, who should be playing safety. He, he's playing corner at North Carolina because he has to, and because that's really what he transferred there to do. But for the next level, I think he could be a next level player at safety, but he's a guy that you can get verticals on him. He's a fast guy. I mean, he ran 10-5, 10-6 in, in high school in the 100 meters, but you don't see that that speed when he's in coverage to the same degree that you would expect. He's a guy that you can get verticals on. You can get behind him. You just get it. You've got to get your best your best release guy on him. He gets heavy footed at the line of scrimmage and you get you got to get vertical on him. And I would, in this game, I would take at least three vertical shots or double moves or whatever on Kyler McMichael. I would target him in the deep passing game at least three times in this game because I feel like I might get at least two big plays out of that if I can get my quarterback to make those throws. If I can protect long enough and I can get my quarterback to make those throws, I feel like I can get at least two out of three of those vertical shots to hit home. So that's what, that's where I'm wanting to target. The other thing is that at safety, they got three guys that are pretty good players. Conley, uh, zero, is probably, you might argue he's their best defensive player at this point. He's an NFL guy. He's 215 pounds, 220 pounds, and he runs like a legit safety. Really, really good player. Excellent tackler in the open field. The more you can get away from him in the running game, the better and And they've been moving they' moved him up to to nickel uh to to make him basically that sam backer in their scheme because they've they're they're starting to get a little better play from the other safety but the more you can avoid him in the running game, the better the more you can use formation say to you know run a wide bunch out there and force him to cover out at the bunch or cover in the box and you do you go wherever he's not. that's one of the things that you want to do now the other two safeties i think nine, Cam Kelly, the Auburn transfer. I think you can, you can do some things with him over the top. You, he's not quite as good a coverage guy as, as four Trey Morrison, who's a former corner, but I think you can get some things on them on the inside in terms of, of, of passing game if you can protect long enough to get there. So that's basically, that's how I would, how I would try to attack them. Is you know if I'm thinking about this, I'm wanting to manufacture some running game. And I'm going to do that by finding 56 and try to run more to his side. I'm going to try to use motion and formation to create gaps. They've not handled communication and pullers and gap schemes as well as uh, as they have other things this year. So the more you can force their backers to kind of move and and handle different gaps. As you, as you create new gaps with pullers and, and formation, the more you're going to be able to find seams because those guys have not been as precise with their gap responsibility as you'd like. And then to me, you target, number one, you target Kyler McMichael and the safeties and coverage on some shot plays. Other than that, you're basically trying to manufacture that running game and you're trying to, to find some screen game where you're going to have to block those, those corners. And those corners are big corners. I mean, both guys are six one plus both guys can tackle. You're gonna have to block their corners on the edge and and force them to uh, to tackle in the open field to to be able to win this game. you gotta you gotta get past those backers because you're gonna still be running a lot of screen type stuff in this game. So defensively on the year, they're giving up five point four yards per play. You know, I think if Florida State winds up going around six yards per play, that's probably pretty good that to me is success in this game 6 yards per play don't turn it over and you're giving yourself a chance to win this game so really i mean what florida state's kind of aiming for to me is each side at about 6 yards per play without turning it over on the offensive side and you got a shot that basically gives you a 50-50 shot if both team if both sides of the ball wind up in that same yards per play range then you got about a 50-50 shot of winning that game now I think overall you have less than a 50-50 shot of winning this game because even though there are some matchups that that you do like, the problem is that I just keep coming back to the quarterback situation. I would rather have Howell than anybody that Florida State's running out there. And I just don't think Florida State receiver-wise and just playmaker-wise has the guys that I trust to make enough big plays to ultimately put themselves, to make themselves more likely to win this game. The best shot they've got to win this game, the best shot Florida State has to win this game is to ugly it up. The more this game, it becomes a slugfest in the trenches and, you know, you basically get the offense out of leverage and it becomes the more punts that he, that these two teams exchange, the better shot you got to win this game. To me, if Florida State wins this game, it's probably going to have to be a, a game one in the 20s, something like 28-24, 28-27, you know, maybe 31, 28, you know, that's the range that Florida State's probably going to have to win this game in. Because I just don't see a ton of points from the Florida State offense in this game. Now, on the flip side, North Carolina wants this game to be a track meet. The, the North Carolina would be fine giving up 30 points in this game as long as their offense is humming. And, you know, th- that, what, that, what that tells me is that Florida State absolutely could win this game. If they ugly it up enough, if they're able to, to cause enough problems up front for Carolina on the offensive line and, and force Howell into some bad decisions and, and get pressure on him and make him uncomfortable, then Florida State absolutely could win this game. But on the flip side, North Carolina could, with Josh Downs making a few big plays against Florida State's underneath coverage, uh, getting the running backs in in the passing game, some of those things against Florida State's linebackers, Carolina could win this game by 28. Neither would surprise me. If Florida State wins this game, I'm not surprised. If North Carolina wins this game by 28, I'm not surprised. So to me, I end up splitting that difference pretty, you know pretty much down the middle. And I'm gonna go with I went uh, North Carolina 38 13 on the inside Carolina podcast, but I've looked at this game a little bit more since since I recorded that uh, day and a half ago. I'm gonna go with North Carolina 38 Florida State 20 in this game. I think Florida State has about a 20, 25% chance of winning this game. I mean, it's a reasonable shot. This is not one of those games where you go, oh, you know, they're just, just hold on and try not to get blown out. No, you can win this game if you're Florida State. You absolutely can win this game. You're just going to have to ugly it up and some bounces are going to have to go your way. But if I'm playing the odds, and this is not a game I would bet, I can tell you that right now, both of these teams are way too high variance. You just don't know which team you're going to get. Are you going to get the, the North Carolina team that, that, average 10 yards per play against a, a pretty bad Virginia defense or the team that averaged you know just under uh five yards per play against a georgia tech defense that gave up 50 the next week which which one are you going to get which florida state team are you going to get are they going to be healthy enough that it's closer to the notre dame the offensive line that played against notre dame and they scored 38 against a pretty good notre dame defense Or are you going to get the Florida State team that turned it over six times plus you know two other idiotic things to give up uh, a possession against Wake Forest? If that team shows up, North Carolina could beat them by a lot more than Wake Forest did. So these two teams are just completely unpredictable in that regard, and you put them together, and it's a hard game to project. So I'm just going to say Florida State about a 25% chance of winning this game. They'll win about one in four of this, but all things being equal i would project something around north carolina 28 florida state or north carolina 38 florida state 20 would be around what i would i would expect coming into this game if you know you run enough simulations that's probably around where the average would be so i'm going to go ahead and wrap there this will this will do for this week's preview of the florida state north carolina game on saturday as always if you've enjoyed the show Please leave a five-star rating on uh, Apple Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your, uh, get your podcasts. This has been the Unconquered Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening. The Unconquered Podcast is brought to you by EPR Creations, Louis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, ShenRealEstate.com in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, Garage Makeovers of Palm Beach in Broward County, and the Unconquered Podcast shop at unconqueredpodcast.com, which features stickers, magnets, and other seminal gear. Thanks also to those supporters over at Patreon, where I post video analysis and field questions for the podcast from supporters. I'm especially grateful to those above the dynasty level, that is Andrew Garrett, Brian Leininger, Jonathan Kennedy, Lee Caswell, Travis Smith, Tyler Kashishki, Vince Calandra, and Bert Bertoldi. If you've been enjoying this podcast, please leave a five-star rating over at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts, post us on social media, and tell a friend. This has been the Unconquered Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening. I made this.